0: Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow Creeps in this petty place from day to day To the last syllable of recorded time And all our yesteryears have lightest fools The way to dusty death Out, out, brief candle Life's but a walking shadow A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage And then is heard no more it is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Welcome, everyone, to Required Reading. It's as though. You've been working on your intros, haven't you? It's, it's that's as like, though. There's a cut above the previous episode. It's as though Bill Shakespeare was writing something about our podcast directly, <laughs> except told by two idiots. I'm Fury. Okay. <laughs> welcome, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us here on this uh, balmy evening. Right off the bat, we've, we've got windows open, so you, you may hear some of the earth outside. Ambient St. Helier audio. Ambient earth outside. Um, and welcome to um, Required Reading, a film podcast, episode nine. Um, thank you very much for joining us once more. I'm joined here, as always, by Dan. Please say hello. Watcher. Oh, a little informal. Uh, yeah, excellent. I like that. This is a, even more of a different podcast than we normally do, because it this is what, in a series that I'm calling the Blind Spot Episodes. So this is dedicated to um, a film that... You know that you should have seen that maybe it's just sort of passed you by for whatever reason, maybe just during that time you were a bit busy at work, or it just didn't fit in with the cadence of the cinema didn't fit in with when you could get time to go or you couldn't get a babysitter or something. And then maybe you thought, oh, I'll wait for it to come on netflix and then maybe it didn't or one of those things you know it's,
1: sure, it's a it's, it's a film it's a nagging film isn't it yeah. it's one of those that's always like i know i should watch you yeah. but for some reason whenever the occasion arises i'm just going to pick something else it's it was very oscar
0: nominated and won a lot it was the um it was the year of um the theory of everything um that year so and um it is birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Um, and I think it's one of the first films to win an Oscar for either Best Director or um, that actually has um, brackets or is it parentheses? A, pr- a parentheses, parentheses, parentheses title. parentheses title, which is, and also the, one of the longest. Um, and uh, that is the movie, and it is um, suggested by our key contributor, Chris Schilling. It was time. a very
1: hotly contested it was, it was, vote. It was. Um, it was my choice, Midnight Run, and Birdman drew level, level ultimately, didn't yep, they?
0: they did. And we've decided... Not so on Facebook. Not so on Facebook. It just seems a lot
1: of your friends on Facebook really like Get Carter. <clears throat> well, Especially the, reason, your dad. the reason for that
0: is, is my wife's family are from the place in the northeast where it was filmed. Ah, so yeah. it's like, if anything, it's like hometown glory. Yes. yeah, yeah, the, yeah. One of the only things, apart from a mine and it closing them filming Get Carter there is the thing it's like <laughs> oh did you know this is where they film Get Carter it's like yeah I know it's where you film Get Carter you tell me every day so um uh, so yeah so that's why it was uh so the choices were um I had chosen Tango and Cash um e- eagle eared listeners from the last episode will know that that was my choice Dan chose Midnight Run Chris Schilling chose uh, Birdman, which is what this show is about, and James uh, Buttrice. Who, Buttrice is, um, the Buttress is chose Get Windsor Carter, which was um, the loser on Twitter, but the winner on Facebook, and uh, we've decided to ignore Facebook. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> <It'd be delightful>. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that, buddy, um, uh, because because of of, of um, it, circumstances did not seem fair that my family basically you know would rallied around and tried to influence the vote so um we stayed with the um ambivalent twitter the ambivalence of twitter yeah um and decided to go with this but fans of dan's choice um do not fret for we will um be doing the next episode in the second of the series will be about midnight run the De a uh midnight run so um So, stay tuned for that. So, it seems um, the best place to start um, our metaphorical um, comet going across the sky is Chris's review. We'll go straight to it. So, so Birdman. Picking our films, doing our job. Fucking host the show. (laughs) Jesus. So, Birdman. This is Chris's review now. It's starting, so imagine it's in Chris's voice. So, Birdman. I'm really glad I watched it, but it felt somehow less than the sum of its often brilliant parts. Keaton is terrific, as is much of the stellar supporting cast, Andrea Riseborough in particular, and Emmanuel uh, Lubezki's camera work is astounding, capturing a sense of internal claustrophobia and whirling mania. But after a while, I found myself consciously admiring the technique rather than connecting with the story. And while there are moments that ring with emotional truth, there's also a theatrical artifice that I found distancing. It has a weirdly bitter streak that makes it hard to properly warm to, exemplified by a scene which features the most self aggrandizing view of creatives versus critics since Lady in the Water. Lots to admire, but not an awful lot to love. Uh, what do you think about that, Dan?
1: I love Birdman. I, I really like Birdman,
0: <laughs> and I was been really thinking, and so I obviously came to my uh, came to my opinion of Birdman before uh, Chris's review, which actually came in uh, a couple of hours before we recorded this. I saw it when it came out. Um, I will say I weirdly got it confused with Whiplash. I don't know what it is thematically about it that makes me, in my head... You know when, when you compartmentalise something? Th- not,
1: Th- thematically, they're not a million miles apart. They Lots are, of drums. Well, there's a lot of drums, that's <laughs> true. But they, they are both about people striving <laughs> for, for for greatness yep. in, the, in the face of varying degrees of adversity. Um, they're both... People, I guess, ultimately willing to bleed to attain that mm. to attain that success. Yeah. Um, literally leaving a you know a, a lump of flesh on the stage. Yeah, to uh, well, in one case a nose. Yeah, a very literal lump of flesh on King's stage nose. Yeah, yeah, to to attain that that sort of next level. Um, but yeah, it's I, weird. I, I I saw them in fairly close proximity mm. as well, uh, and both resonated with me quite deeply yeah. on, on different levels
0: yeah um I am
1: um, not to say that Chris is wrong no one's ever wrong
0: everyone's review is 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 valid but um but the parts that I like about this film and the parts that maybe I didn't land with me as well it's he, re- he refers to the um the, the confrontation with the critic later on um uh that I didn't I didn't enjoy that bit I didn't like that bit but like the theatre and like the, the like the cadence of a performance like this, sometimes you need obvious parts or you need parts that shock you into a certain way of thinking because it gives you something else in the next kind of scene. Mm. We'll talk about it a little bit later. And I've, I haven't done my customary warning. Sorry, before we start, before we get too much into the film, um, let me just pause for a second and say that this is obviously a spoilerific full discussion of the movie if you haven't seen uh, the movie birdman um then you already know that michael keaton's nose ends up on a stage then you have um so uh sorry sorry about that um just yeah this won't make any sense if you haven't seen the film um i kind of explain it in different ways every single episode I haven't yet to land on the way that works for me because spoiler is the wrong Wrong, wrong word because this is more like a discussion that you have with your buddy after you've seen a film and um, and so you would talk about what happens in the film they have justify yourself Alex
1: they've made their mistake
0: <laughs> they've made their mistake well more more just to save you know if you're just listening and going what the fuck is they talking about here <laughs> um, <laughs> I sort of wanted you to know that that's why you don't yeah. talking and, about and it means you know,
1: we have a tendency to fly around the film Uh, in an incredibly non-chronological fashion as well. So let's take it back to
0: uh, chronology. The first thing you see, it opens with a comet flying across the sky, which is something that also appears in uh, in R2's next movie, which uh, is The Revenant. So you see these idea of these comets and... um, I, this is a bit I did a little bit of reading about and um, he just finds them incredibly inspirational as a as a as, a, as an image um, and he thinks there's sort of nothing more powerful and nothing higher than the idea of a comet going across the sky it's untouchable it's beautiful and it just has a lot of uh, parallels with creativity and the idea of uh, doing something amazing that a person when they're when they're performing and when they're doing something is, they're like a comet. So that's okay. the thing. But, um, in this movie, rather than, um, and, and, and he's, and he's admitted that, uh, um, Michael Keaton's character and Leonardo DiCaprio's character share uh, some of that feeling with a with comet. Um, but this movie is one where he decides to um, juxtapose it with another image which comes later which is of the jellyfish. And this yes. is um, his own private feeling about jellyfish. When you see them up on the beach that it's basically the one of the saddest things that you can see. They're completely flat out they're not in the sea they're not as beautiful anymore. They're it's the most deflated sort of natural occurrence juxtaposed with the most incredible natural occurrence which is a comet so that's why you have those two uh, parts in this film and you actually see those images juxtaposed um, juxtaposed in the same image you see the reflection of a comet in the shining dying carcass of a of a drying out uh, of jellyfish which Mm. is amazing so that's right at the start of the film and I think that theme is something that Uh, really appears a lot in the film like the best of the best of who we can be and 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 the worst of who we can be um let's start with 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 Michael Keaton um we've already talked about him a lot on this podcast in, in different forms yes and if nothing else I feel this film is a just a love letter to him if you you know if you like Michael Keaton there's there's you know how much more Michael Keaton can you get? There's none more Keaton. It's funny
1: because yeah, I saw I saw him say that this is probably the character he's portrayed that's the most opposed to how he is as a person. Mm. But I still sensed an underlying sense of catharsis. Mm. The, the 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 parallels with his own career are undeniable. the The year of his last Birdman film was the same year as Batman Returns. Yeah. You know, this is a very deliberately cast role of Absolutely. someone trying to cast the Shackles. And they make yeah. no pretense about it when they suddenly start showing clips of Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. on the TV in his multi-billion Iron Man franchise. Yeah, yeah. And That's great, And and there and there, is, and there is a scene towards the end of the, the, the guys that dress up on the sidewalk. They, look, they remind me of the guys that dress up on the sidewalk in, in Hollywood Outside Man's Chinese Theatre mm. in these sort of second-rate outfits dressed as Spider-Man and uh, Bumblebee and stuff. I guess they're outside Times Square as well, yeah. which is where that that was supposed to uh, that that was supposed to stem from. And seeing them all sort of punching each other and dancing around on the Broadway stage, and the the two aspects coming together yeah, they of, of, in at of the end, of they? the Broadway and the sort of the low low culture mm. uh, on the Broadway stage again, which I guess was a metaphor for this Hollywood superstar trying to make his yeah. uh, mark by treading the boards. Finally, yeah, yeah. Or well, I mean,
0: like meta is. Uh, it probably is one of the sort of most successful meta films yeah. that of recent times i can think of like it's got so much you know so many things and let, let's let's delve into to some of that now it's obviously the Keaton character and parallels with batman i mean they go as I mean, they don't go as far as showing Batman as a character, but they do everything but. Yes. You know, Birdman looks and apparently is cast from one of his old body suits. Oh, really? Um, know that. The um, there's quite a lot of um, you know, there's a lot of imagery that looks a lot like it. It's funny that it almost goes. It's almost forward meta in the character that he plays in Homecoming, as he hadn't hadn't done that by then. It's almost as though he went on to play Birdman, the movie that he's gonna do. And then played a character it, called Vulture, but yeah, it, yeah it's a <laughs> quite it's literal so amazing, bird man, yeah, a, a bird man, uh, um, yes. Like Keaton, there's, there's none, you know. It's, it, it really, really is is telling us something incredible there. Um, Norton, Edward Norton who i love i love in, in
1: notoriously almost, a tough guy to work tough with. guy
0: to work with also slightly burned by a uh a superhero his dalliance of the hulk yeah um which is still canon which is because if you yep. take the um ross colonel ross thunderbolt ross is still yeah is still in there still played by the same guy so it, 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 he's only been recast so he's mm-hmm. obviously dealing with it um and as you say, he's playing a character that's notoriously difficult to work with. He's playing along with that. I would say it's almost like a Cock and Ball story, The Trip. Yes. You know, sort of touching on that idea of it. He must be aware of how people think of him. And, yes,
1: uh, I mean, slightly step removed, obviously, like the, the, the Winterbottom things are very, you know, it's Coogan and Bryden playing slightly twisted versions of mm. themselves. And, and, and to all intents and purposes, this was... This, this, it's only a step Keaton away playing, from yeah, it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you like, know, it another one, it's only one other step away I, from... I'm, I'm honestly surprised by the fact that they name-dropped so many other real actors yeah. throughout the film that they didn't just say, mm. oh, this is Michael Keaton and this is Edward Norton and, yeah. and sort of maintain that level of pretense. That, was, that would have been the only other thing that would have taken it, I think, to another degree of post-postmodernism. Well, a little factoid is that the Jeremy Renner section of it, um,
0: that section of it apparently... Um, They originally were going to be talking about um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. And then in that
1: bit. Was that when he passed?
0: Yes, when he passed away. So they changed that around. That was one of the things, the concessions that they made for it. So they're obviously really sort of self aware, right up to the point. Um, And um, reading a little bit more about it is apparently because of the way that it's shot, um, you know, this film is shot in basically as if somebody took the shot the nightclub shot from Goodfellas and decided to expand it to a whole movie, um, the um, knock-on effect of that is is that they couldn't cut anything. So there's no parts to the movie that weren't in the script, which is really rare for a movie, just for pacing and timing and everything. So apparently the team of writers had to write the movie as it was going to appear, yeah. and that's what took so long. So there were sort of a few scheduling problems
1: with um with the
0: actors um i think Emma Stone as you had noticed
1: um yes yeah, she was in the middle of filming amazing spider-man 2 yeah. which explains why she has blonde hair because she was playing Gwen Stacy in yeah. that at the same time um and so so all of that was around
0: the sort of protracted time and in actual fact this movie was made was brought forward because they finished it because they were waiting for some uh, money to make uh, the revenant um, because they had to, there was a problem why that got put back, and mm. I think DiCaprio was uh, taking um, more time to make The Wolf of Wall Street than um, than they thought. Anticipated, and so right. they pushed that back, and they and they brought this forward. So timings is is something that. Is, is pretty sort of a yes, forefront yes. of the movie um going back to the characters i think there's every single one has a connection in real life to their to their on-screen counterpart so we've done keaton and norton uh, um, Andrea Riseborough yeah. sort of has the um, has a wounded um, element to her, and I feel that, and this could just be a personal thing. I just think her appearance in Oblivion, has sort of a breakthrough, yes, sort of part in Oblivion. I sort of feel she got kind of sidelined and not as much stuff. I think she maybe put on like a little bit of weight, and I feel that Hollywood. Definitely turned her back on her in terms of performances. I think she's amazing. I think she's good in nearly everything that she's in. Yeah, but yeah. She's, she's very good she's in in the Death of Stalin. Oh, fantastic! I seen yeah. yet? And I feel that her character, the whole, like she's got a very wounded element to it. She sort of even in the movie she says, "Oh, I wish that people would talk to me that way when they're when they're talking to yeah, Mary like Watts. the kind of second fiddle." Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it obviously, is something that she does really well, like that kind of hurt, kind of bruised thing. But I feel that that sort of has a connection to her as well. Um, Naomi Watts um, again. Again, she was uh, sort of headlining in King Kong. She was having this big, sort of massive part in that. She plays a person that sort of t- goes on Broadway. It has uh, wrestles with her own inner demons around yeah, the yeah, idea yeah. of should she be in this play? Should she? And and obviously the, re- the reaction to King Kong, like no one came out of King Kong particularly well. I think it would be. Andy Serkis did. Andy Serkis came out really well. Adrian <laughs> Brody and um, Jack Black, I feel, took quite a heavy hit on, yeah, yeah, on 100%. King Kong. And, and Naomi Watts. There was the um, apparently the very... Um, I haven't seen it, but the tsunami movie that she did with Ewan McGregor. Was it The Brave, was it? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that was not very well received. And so I think the four main people in it have a real connection with the idea of being not snubbed just the idea of seeing the both sides of celebrity none of them have had stratospheric careers where they've been at the top of their game the whole time and sort of not many many people have i mean emma stone i think is probably the person in there that's been sort of quite quite at the top of her yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, sort of, even since, uh, since Superbad, she's been sort of very well regarded and has been, she's been fairly consistent.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Within that sort of generation of actresses like mm. Jennifer Lawrence and folk like that, you know, she's, she's definitely top of that
0: and I think 2 plays with that quite a lot um, it, uh, the lady when he's standing on the building at the end of the, near the end of the movie, 20 minutes from the end of the movie she calls out to um, Riggan um, and says is this, is this a movie and um, when it looks like he's going to jump when he's going to commit suicide and he says, Oh yeah, this is a movie. And she goes, you people are full of shit. And apparently she is a very famous Broadway actress. She's oh, right. in a very, in a tiny part in the movie, in the background. And a few of those people on that, people that are shouting out to him. Apparently they're all, you would know them if you knew about Broadway, if you knew the thing. And so like playing around with people's real life personas and playing around with what they think about it is, is, is
1: something that's quite, quite big in this movie. Yeah. I, one one point to return to when uh, we talk about the 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 drive to make it one take to make everything work without edits. Um, what I mean is, you know, without editing it down because mm. everything had to be shot to time and it had to be completely chronological yeah. to make the whole one take thing work. Um, is the obvious obvious parallels with the challenges of theatre itself, which is exactly that. Yeah. You know, theatre doesn't have edits. Theatre is you have to know your line, you have to go off book yeah. for the in, entirety of what could be up whatever three hour play sometimes. Yeah. And so, what this film was doing was asking a lot of Hollywood talent to memorise yeah. pages and pages and pages of dialogue and hit their marks mm. and be just absolutely perfect. Yeah. And, and actually put them up to the rigours of actual theatre performance in a film that's about a hollywood star trying to make the transition into into theater yeah so for, from a very sort of, you know from a, from an almost method standpoint the yeah. director is making a statement about that within the way that the film itself is constructed yeah yeah it's 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 amazing I, and it's a film that i think could become <clears throat> could be adapted for the theater yeah
0: yeah there are there are a few films like that there's um where you like wonder how they what other lives they could take and how they even how they rehearsed it, and apparently um this film took quite a lot of sort of production and 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 he does this director does a lot of takes as well, and I wonder whether some of the actors took it as a real um, as a real opportunity to sort of show their chops and show how good they could be. Um, I think um, Zach Galifianakis um, plays, and I'm quite a big fan of his. I think he sort of steals almost everything that he's in. Yes. And I think it's so bold that he plays it almost completely straight, that he's not funny at all. He does a a thing that I loved in it when he mispronounces uh, Martin Scorsese. Scorsese. Calls him Martin Scorsese. And I just... I really love that. It just really sort of sung sung out to me. I, I really like mispronunciation and, and sort of how, you know, th- how that talks to um, the character themselves. He's obviously like pretentious. He plays a pretentious character and that he's almost trying to appear more, um,
1: you know, more and more culturally yeah, aware and, exactly. than, than, than he actually is. Yeah, when yeah he's, more er- like a, he's more a legal guy. He's, he's, a, he's a fixer. More than anything. It reminds Um, me of the, um, of I'm not going
0: to debate you, you know, in, in Fargo, you know, when, um, he's trying to appear, um, Steve Buscemi's character, trying to appear more, um, authoritative and he's like, I'm not going to debate you. Yeah. And it just, I've always really loved that, the sort of use of the wrong, wrong uses of, of words. um, He's, um, in inverted commas.
1: I mean, you say he doesn't make you laugh, but I I think there are, I think it's a very sharply written film throughout. Mm. I think it's a, it's a very funny film throughout as well, but just, it's very hard to write a well-paced comedy, especially when your your actors aren't, I guess, aren't really allowed to improvise. When it has yeah. to be so rigid and structured, the the original script just has to be on point in terms of how sharp and how witty it is. And I don't yeah. know how much you know how much collaboration there was with the talent at the time, or if they were like, "Look, this has been written in a very particular way. You've got to hit your marks. You've got to say your lines." Don't don't fucking talk back to me. You know, don't don't Edward Norton this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Five five lines where one will do and all that, like that's that's already been done. Yeah. And I think I think this is a film that's been sort of script edited to within an mm. inch of its life yeah. to make it to make it as sort of pin pin sharp as it, as it is throughout, I think. I mean and these and these are the things like I know Chris was saying there's a lot to love about it and there's a lot that he found made it made it difficult to to love. Um but there are there are so many aspects of this film that I I love really dearly. Um, part of it is I think it's a film that has divided opinion. I know a lot of people who didn't connect with the film mm. in the slightest. Um, whereas you know it struck me on a very sort of profound level because when it first came out, I really identified with the main character's sort of struggle. Mm. And it's very hard to sympathise with someone who's made a fuck ton of money into Hollywood and then has gone well I'm going to try the theatre now and I'm going to pour my heart and soul into this but I don't think it matters who that character is as long as you identify with a person who is, who has done something they're not necessarily very proud of but has been very successful at it and then goes do you know what I'm going to turn that down and I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to try and do something that means a lot to me instead and as people who know me know that you know a, a point where something I was well known for stopped. Yeah, I was immediately given the opportunity to to, to do what was my Birdman for. Yeah, and I yeah, went, yeah, yeah. no, I don't want to do it. Yeah, I don't want to do Birdman 4 I want mm-hmm. to go and try just something else and try and yeah. do something different. And like my my sort of effort to do something was sort of a, a a failure. You know, ultimately it was a failure of of what I was initially aiming to do. But something else great came out of it Mm. um and so like it it really resonated with me on that level when someone's like you know i'm not i'm not like saying oh look i was a great actor now i've written a fucking brilliant play and i'm amazing in it but it was it just on a thematic level it really it really struck me it was like that's that's what it's like sometimes you realize and i know a lot of people in my industry particularly have done that where they've gone youtube and social media is the future of yeah, is the future of the industry, this is what you've got to go into, you've got to be a fucking video generating fucking automaton to just get that those clicks and do mm-hmm. that and then people have gone, actually I don't want to be part of that, I want to do something like Patreon and make things yeah. at my own pace and craft things and make things that work, and it's not necessarily going to get a massive audience, but it will attract a devoted following of, of like-minded people who, who are really into it, and that's enough for me and Th- that's the part of the film that I really love and really took to heart was that that was the point. It was, I don't necessarily know if the conclusion of the film is satisfactory in that regard. Like yeah. that, when when he's given his pound of flesh, that ultimately then he's a big deal on social media and he's massive again hmm. and all that side of it. It was, but it was more like I, I would have preferred it if it hadn't gone massively. But in fact, he'd just found. A small audience of people who gone. I uh, respect what you do and 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 enjoyed it. But yeah, I, 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 I'm I'm very conflicted about the how the film ends. It's almost like there's a there's there's five minutes or so that I'm not sure necessarily needed to be there. Yeah. Like I think that film could have ended when he did what he did on stage, and the the critic walks out. Yeah. And you just don't know if she loved it or she hated it. Yeah. And and if what if that grand final gesture. Was, was futile and that she would have killed the play. Yeah. Regardless. I don't know. I don't know if I needed to see him then in a hospital bed and to go... Yeah, but there's a read of the film where he does die, right? There, there is a read of the film where he does die? I, think, I definitely
0: think there is. There's definitely a film, for me, <clears throat> be it whether he literally dies or just that, because of what happened, everyone is treat. Everyone treats him so differently that it's sort of all bets are off, and nothing is is real anymore. Well, yeah. So, so one of the key things of the film. Um, it is that he ha- seems to have these um telekinetic abilities the first time you see him he's levitating um he's meditating and levitating yeah um he's you see him pull stuff across the the room you see him
1: smashing things up and 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 doing things but there's one scene that completely deflates that and goes categorically it's all in his head the taxi The taxi scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, to, to explain it, um, in case you missed it,
0: is, um, the, uh, when he's flying through from the rooftop after he has his fight with the critic. And this is where I'm referring to that he has to have the fight with the critic to have the fantastical bit that comes straight afterwards. Yeah. The, the, the scene with the critic is, is, is very, played very real and played very, it is very brash.
1: And but even rich. then, when he shatters the glass in the bar, yeah. like nobody bats Nothing an happened. eyelid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: that's cool. yeah, that's an interesting point. But then afterwards, he has this crazy action scene, um, digital effect action scene, bone crunching, you know, bit that happens. Um, then he flies away from it, back to the to the theatre, lands, walks into the theatre, and then is followed by a, a taxi driver. Demanding who his says, cash. Yeah, he's demanding his cash. So... By that, we're supposed to read that this is all in his head. So the end of the movie, um, jumping to the end of the movie, is he jumps out of the window and Emma Stone, his his daughter, looks down at the ground and looks up and sees him. For me, gives me a feeling that he, that he does kill himself, that he does kill himself, and that the scene in the hospital is basically the 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 sort the suicide guide to oh well you'll all be sorry once I've done this once you know once I, I've killed myself you'll all you know, I'll get my if only I could see afterwards, if only I could see you or oh, how sorry you're all gonna be mm. if I kill myself. You know, the real selfish, super, super selfish side to the idea of suicide. Yeah. Um and for me that last scene is that played out for him um I, you know, it could be that he's
1: alive. For me... It's that's almost it, too specific, though. The fact that he shoots his nose off and gets the rhinoplasty and all of that side of yeah. it is almost a bit too... I don't know, a bit too a bit too neat for it to be like a fantasy for me. It feels like, you know, he just misfires and that's what he does. Right. Um, and then they throw that window bit at the end just to be a bit ambiguous about the magical realism aspect of the rest of the film. Okay. That And that's why it doesn't quite... Right, right. Jive with me. It's like it's that it's that one aspect of it where it's like, well yeah, I get that it's meant to be sort of a fancy in his head and it's he that one last method is like I'm you know, I'm flying, I'm I'm free, I'm I'm justified mm. almost. Well so my only other my only
0: other reason for why that one um uh, it's, it, for me, the read is that he does die, is that in Spanish culture, I'm actually not sure whether it's other culture, I'm part Spanish, so I only know it from that, is that the lilacs that she brings um, the, are a funereal flower, are they? are, uh, are in in um, uh, Latin culture I'm not sure whether it is everyone else or I only know it is that they were always they're always used in funeral homes to cover the scent of um, of uh, corpses ah. so basically in in Spanish culture um, you bury people immediately you don't oh yeah yeah no, my, my I dad, my
1: dad died in Spain no, and that's yeah, what happened
0: I remember I remember um, and and so um, it's done very quickly, and you do have these um, these flowers there, and she brings them to him at the thing. And so I just wondered whether that was a nod towards
1: the idea that he was dead, um, that the it was uh, there. Maybe, like my, my I guess my, my 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 botany skills are fairly lacking. So I was also wondering if she was finally bringing him the flowers he requested right oh, at the start. Of the there's film. an element of that. Too. Is it the same? Um, yeah. yeah, it's what she asked. It, it is, is what yes. He asked what, right, she, right um, right he, start, um, yeah.
0: she uh, skypes him and says I can't find these flowers the reason you can't find them is because they're 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 considered Racistly says she can't find yeah 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 um she but the reason why you can't find them is it's actually seen as bad luck to bring to, them to bring them right you know it's really you're bringing. it's kind of like lilies for for,
1: for yeah. english people so it's, don't so, really so, so, so it's a bit of a i mean obviously in a ritu then it'd be a very cultural gesture Yeah, exactly um and also perhaps as yes, you say a, a, you know a, a Massive element of foreshadowing as well that he requests such a specific... Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And um, very good. So um, so th- the um, book that he is um, doing, a play of... Uh, his play is uh, what we talk about when we talk it, about love. Is it Carver? Is uh, Raymond Carver. And the start of the movie um, starts with... Um, the lines and did you get what you wanted from this life even so I did and what did you want to call myself beloved to feel myself beloved on the earth Um, which is actually his uh, the words that are written on Raymond Carver's tombstone um, which is what the movie starts with which is another sort of theme of death and um, I'm not sure I'm not saying it refers to that he dies at the end but just the idea of dying for your art and that just death falling through it right before, uh, um, he, um, tries to kill himself. Um, he tells his wife that he tried to kill himself before, um, at a party, um, when he was found to be um, having an affair, yeah, um, with his wife and chucks him out. He tells the story about him um, walking, walking into the, into water. the water and um, finding himself in a school of jellyfish, which is again pulls us back to the director's uh, metaphor for being at your lowest ebb or being, or the, his version of a visual lowest ebb of these of these jellyfish, which I um, which I thought was a really lovely um, which was a really lovely sort of end. End to the film, yeah. The, the way it tied it together, um, how how successful do you feel the the um, the one the one shotness of this movie is? Do you did you think it was done well, or did it take you out of the movie?
1: No, no, it never took me out of the movie. I, I, I know it's, I know it's ultimately a gimmick, but it's kind of cheesy. It's kind of cheesy. I, I guess I never it never struck me as cheesy to be right. to be honest. I, I, I thought I thought it was just as as I say the, my my point again about the the correlation between take going from Hollywood to the stage and the challenges of the stage. I I think making it a a faked one shot was was quite a clever parallel being drawn there between the challenges of the two. Um, you know the the joins. There are moments where I. I I remember the first time I watched it. at The moment I thought there were joins, I read up and they weren't joins. And <laughs> so every, you know, because it, often it's a cheap trick that someone steps into the darkness yeah, and yeah, then yeah. steps out, and their elements like that. We go, well, that was a that was a cut, that was a join. Yeah. And th- I think that's that's always the plight of the one shot inverted commas one shot film is that you do spend a lot of time looking for the joins and looking yeah. for those moments where um, the opening of Spectre. Yeah, yeah. So it, and it always and those momentarily pull you out of it, mm. but. Um, it was. It was always like. It was more like. How audacious can he possibly be with that one shot? Mm. Oh, he's in a theater. Okay, well, there's a very confined space where you can get your one shot. But then when he starts taking it outdoors and he starts flying around, and you're like, and he's still maintaining that that fluidity, it becomes more of an an impressive feat. Um, I can't. I can't speak to to why he did it more than it's like. It's a creative endeavour and it's and it's a challenging endeavour and I like any director who gives themselves a task mm. and goes, all right, I'm going to make a compelling film but I'm also going to do it like this. Um... It's 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 brave. It must be nightmarish. It yeah. must be a fucking task for like you say. It's a task from a writing standpoint. It's a task from an acting standpoint. Yeah. It's a task from a blocking standpoint. Yeah. It's a task from a lighting standpoint. Dealing with different exposures, like it's a technical fucking nightmare. two seems to be someone who wants to break. His DOPs is a guy who wants to break his gaffers because, like, then you think of you think he immediately followed that with a revenant. He's like, Oh, no, I know, I'm going to film it uh, something exclusively at Golden Hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. fucking hell, dude. Like, yeah, what, what yeah, are you definitely. doing to yeah. everybody? He's but, I, but, but, but that that's another thing that resonates with me. It's like don't become a one trick pony sometimes being an auteur is your license to go oh well it's acceptable because that's their thing that's mm. their motif whereas i sometimes think well that actually means you're quite lazy and that's your thing is to yeah. always do that rather than seeking a new challenge rather than seeking a new way to to tackle the to tackle the art forms to tackle yeah. the medium um so i always have massive admiration for mm. him in that regard because i always feel that He's not always just trying to tell a new story. He's always trying to break some form of new ground in in visual storytelling and, and environmental storytelling as well. Mm. And in that regard, I, I just view it as a, as a massive triumph as yeah. far as I'm concerned. I mean, going back to the point, there's something I wanted to say right from the outset of this film is that this is the first film we've done where I think we've both already seen the film. Yes, yes. And one of the big reasons we did this was to go and find out those films that like we we haven't seen that are perhaps underrated and and talk about those on a, on, a, on, a, on a you know on a selfish level it's like mm. this is an excuse for us to go and sit down on those films that maybe are our blind spot films or or ones that have just been you know nagging at us to go and see yeah so w- when this sort of co won <laughs> co won the vote um I, I was a bit like. Ah. <laughs> I can't watch the film again. Yeah. Oh, for fuck's sake, you know, there's there's so much I could be seeing instead. Right, right. And and uh, I, I watched it last night after having watched uh, Call Me by Your Name with my wife, mm. which we thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. And I said to her, "Look, I've got to watch Birdman like tomorrow. I've got to just stick I've it, got it on." fucking Birdman! And then she got dragged into it for a good forty five minutes before yeah. she had to just tap out because she was just tired. Yeah. Uh, but then in the morning, the morning, the first thing she said to she woke up was, oh, I forgot how good Birdman is." Like the yeah, first yeah. thing she said to me, I was like, "No, it is," and it's just another one of those films that I'll forever really have a have a big soft spot for. Mm. It's another one of those films like Fight Club or, oh god, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. One of those films that I think if I ever caught at any point that it was on TV, yeah. that I'd sit back and be kind of sucked into it. Yeah. I just, I just think it's it's you know uni- uniformly brilliantly acted. Yeah. Stunning stunning to watch. Really sharply written. Hmm. I think it has a very interesting thing to say about the creativity, which I've already gone into yeah, from yeah. my personal standpoint as well. And it's, there's not a lot of films that really speak to me on a deeply personal level about what goes in, in your head when you're trying to make make something, make anything. Um, and, you know, and all the pitfalls and the voices in your head saying, mm. why are you fucking bothering? Just go back and do what everyone wants you yeah. to do. That kind of side of it is, you know, all all these facets of it come together, and that's kind of why, personally, I really love the film.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, to, to to go back to the uh, to the to sort of specifically the mechanic of of it being one shot, I thought it also had a really nice tie into. Um, I've sort of done um, sort of a little bit of a little bit of acting, but sort of it done quite a lot of playing music and playing live. Yes, and. Um, doing tours or doing a specific load of performances, um, time moves differently uh, when you're on tour it's just a thing it's a bubble that you go into mm. if you're doing a two-week tour um it just flies like it just doesn't have any meaning you know whereas if you're on a work trip or you've got a particular work thing it can take a really long time yeah so for me what i really identified with was just the the sort of the playing around with time and the idea of that a moment takes that moment or a day takes the same amount of time
1: as, as that moment. I'm mm-hmm. right, um, explaining
0: myself. No, 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 absolutely. But you know, that's what I loved about uh, spe- specifically about that. And that, that's it um, because
1: it keeps leaping forward and, yeah, and, yeah. and it does so completely seamlessly without yeah. warning. And you just have to take it for granted that mm. time has moved on and try and figure out internally. By, by how What's much, happened and, yeah. and, and it also has that element of because the film's
0: so good um, uh, that I feel sometimes a little like oh man I kind of wanted to know what happened in that time yeah. you know but it doesn't matter for the story but y- y- you do like again when you're on tour when you're playing you miss those times and you're wondering like I shouldn't have slept for that bit or I shouldn't have just gone and done something for that bit I should have like stayed and talked to that person a bit longer because I didn't yeah. know then that that would be the last time that I would kind of talk to them specifically you know before they phased off into another bit like again on tour when you're when you're playing with people sometimes you're playing with bands for a week and then sometimes you're playing with another band for a day and you have a really good conversation and a connection with them and you're talking about stuff and you're really having a nice time and then they'll just phase away to go and do something else and you'll be thinking about them and then now obviously now I don't play in, in a band or play live or in that way anymore and I'm thinking back to those times and um, and obviously those now take on a different measure of time now because I think about them more and think about back to that time and those and again those conversations yeah, yeah. again plays again with that sort of element of time that's what I
1: thought worked really well it's mad um, isn't it, it yeah isn't? The, I think the one the one time it works very well is when Emma Stone's up with uh, Ed Norton in the rafters hmm. and then it goes over and then you see Ed Norton on stage With Michael Keaton, like performing on a on a preview night, you Mm -hmm. know those those little just clever moves where it's like they've done one seamless move, and yet somehow the same actor has moved, you know, swapped positions. It's done great. Elements like that are are, are done fantastically, Um, and and yeah, that's it. It's it's funny, isn't it? How it's spoken to both of us, and and has sort of evoked memories of other times in Mm. our own lives. And I think that's it. I think for a lot of I could see why Chris, who sort of professionally is is a critic, mm. might take umbrage with how that main critic is <laughs> yeah, yeah. is portrayed. I think she's meant to be a bit like in the world of film. There was her name was um, Pauline Kale. Oh, Kael, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah definitely. Who, who was definitely that? Who, she mm. was like the make or breaker of, yeah, of yeah. Like Hollywood. But by the same token, I think previous in the film, it qualifies the fact that his fears about her, her capacity of making or breaking. Mm. Uh, shows on Broadway is grossly exaggerated. Yeah. Uh and his fears and the voices in his head is basically saying like she has that power. Mm. I'm going to destroy your play. Yeah. But she's a dinosaur herself mm. because Emma Stone makes it clear, oh you don't have Twitter, you're not on Facebook, yeah. you think what you're doing is like is relevant. She's part of the print press. She's she's part of yeah, uh, yeah. there was a day yeah. when someone could sync your play mm. with a word. But not not these days because no. there's word of mouth is so much That's more important. Point. And every time he has these previews and the, and the word and you know the, the 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 play improves in quality as mm. the actors you know get to grips and Ed Norton stops having his freak outs and people yeah. realize that he means what he's doing and and that word of mouth is already spreading. And they said on the first night, people are paying five hundred dollars a ticket to mm. see to see the play. Like yeah. her word means fuck no, all at that absolutely. point. It means nothing. Um, and so, it's actually only Edward Norton's uh,
0: statement about her importance that sets the tone yeah, of how he feels about her. That gets, and, that and gets, that gets, gets in his head. Edward Norton is a dinosaur. And it, not, you know, yeah, and it gets in his head. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, definitely. So you know, I, 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 I wonder, I'd kind of, you know, we're not going to do another episode on Birdman, but I would like to know <laughs> what, maybe if Chris had a, the time to step away from it and then come back to it again like how how I've kind of come back to it because I think I definitely remember watching it the first time and it and i really enjoying it and thinking it was cool but I definitely moved on very quickly Mm. and then watching it again for this and thinking about what it is I wanted to talk about and you know just the idea of of, of ness about this whole movie is obviously working on so many different planes. Yeah. There's some times when, you know, right at the end when Keaton's actually looking at the camera. Like, he's not... There's, there's no disconnection anymore. There's no movie. It's he's looking at, at him. And the idea of going over things that you have heard a hundred times and thinking of it in a new light there's a scene with Edward Norton right at the beginning where they literally go through lines from the play strip some out and it's done so well and it's and it gives you a real little tiny microcosm of creativity in that space the idea of disconnecting yourself from ego to incredibly egotistical characters coming together and just doing the work and stripping away the work and just having a go at a simple scene you get to see something and that is one of the closest recreations of creativity Mm. that I think I've ever seen in a movie
1: and I know it's sort of quite Quite, quite, yeah when when two creative minds actually start mm, riffing mm. it's basically what they're doing like immediately and like rather than Michael Keaton being overly protective of of his work yeah he, he like Ed Norton actually verbalizes, like he 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 expresses why it's more effective. It's mm. like, and and I and I love that as well because another aspect of like one, you know one thing with writing is all about repetition and when when's repetition the right thing to do and when's mm. it the wrong thing to do is like if if your character is going to try and say something and they're trying to make a point, he was like he doesn't need to say it like three or four times. Yeah. He needs to say it once and just leave it hanging there and it's, and it's done. Yeah. And I and he like, he takes that on and they, and they, they play it out again. he's like, yeah, that's really good. Hmm. And, but I also like how that gives you a slightly false impression that suddenly, um, Ed Norton is a gift from the gods. Yeah. And he's yeah. going to make this play fucking amazing yeah. and only to make it just a really fucking difficult thing. And he's actually trying to, like, as you say, he's a bit of a fading star as himself. He's yeah. trying to, well, when obviously he learned back to him. play,
0: yeah, when obviously he had learnt it and had manipulated his girlfriend uh, Naomi what's his character yeah, yeah. into getting him into the play because a couple of times he was like, "Oh, you've learnt your lines," and he's like, "Oh, let let's not get let's not get sort of ha- caught up on who's learnt what." It's like, well, actually, practically, we can t- extrapolate from that that he obviously really wanted to be in it, oh, yeah. and he's manufactured his way into yeah. being in it. And I really yeah, love he, like he read
1: it; he liked it a lot. Like he wouldn't have inveigled his way into that. Um, into that situation had he not been fully on board with, with it in the first place.
0: Believe it or not, and this is something I didn't even think about when Chris chose this movie and we were thinking about doing a, a, a podcast about it. Right. Um, a thing is a thing, not what is said of that
1: thing. That's on, that's on what's his on mirror, his mirror, yeah. I've got yeah.
0: that above my desk Oh, did uh, in, uh, in office? I printed it out the day after I saw <laughs> Birdman. I thought, found the font that it that was in, and it's been above my desk. And I was thinking, I was, I was laying back, uh, laying back, sitting back on my desk and thinking about it. And I remember, and I was just like oh that's from Birdman, like, it's so <laughs> stupid because I really love it, it's a really cool saying and, and really that bit about um, creativity and about that thing I remember really loving at the start and I actually almost really gasped when I first saw it because it was really close, it's really close to writing music with people when you have come at something a particular way and they're coming at something a particular way and that sort of, you're both simultaneously, it's, it's simultaneous attrition and and catalyst and you're working with each other and something is just beginning to something is beginning to gestate and you can see it happening yeah and that for me is one of my favorite things about making music or doing things like a podcast or making any kind of art i love that thing of something that wasn't there before being there and that's Yep. That for me is art in any form. This is something that was wasn't there that is now there because you have come together and done it. Like the podcast and the idea of art and this this podcast with with us now and these things that we do. These are things that before we've done it and before we've done these things and come together and made them weren't there and people weren't able to do it, and now they are. And all that now that is left is how people interact with that thing that has been made. It doesn't affect it. In a way like any art, people that people that experience it they take that art and they take that thing that has been made and I hesitate to call podcast art or anything, you know, art, all all I mean is the thing that has been created. Mm. When people consume it, I think it's theirs. I think I do believe that one things are in the forum. Well, I, I think that's very
1: dangerous thinking though. Because when when you go down that avenue of thought, you end up. Hey, it's the regular Star Wars bit of the podcast. When you go down that avenue of thought, you end yeah. up with this weird ownership of Star Wars and these weird like long letters that come out and this hilarious fucking thing of this these guys were claiming to have raised one hundred and fifty million. Yeah, yeah. To rewrite and remake the you know the the Last Jedi. Yeah, uh, which has obviously been the scene of, of complete ridicule, and that yeah. and that's part of it. Is like I I do believe that to an extent the the audience has some degree of ownership, but Mm. I think it's also illusory because it's not their creation. You know, if someone paints a work of art and then someone says that and goes, oh, I, I own that. It's like, no, like the person who painted it owns that. They own the copyright... They own the thought process that went into the creation of it. The art is theirs. They put it mm. out there for other people to enjoy and to consume, but at no point do they own it anymore. You no. put it out there, but it's still not theirs. No, no, no. No, to, to, to finally get to my point, I'm almost
0: making exactly the same point, is that when you put something out there and people uh, react to it, they own it, but they only own the reaction to it. Mm. The actual, that initial uh, gestation of creation the for, for, for um, that seed that was there that sprout that has come out of creation they don't own that and they never will and they never can and you can try and change it you can try and go back and do these other things but that bit is not theirs to change mm. we'll, we'll we'll come on to that star wars thing i'd, I'd like to delve back back into that would be a newsy a, you know, a little newsy, newsy section newsy but section. yeah um this 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 movie um i just like to just pull us back to it for a bit and talk about one of the only bits of injustice in this film is the music i loved the music but brilliant the academy i read this yeah ineligible because it's basically just a drum track
1: but like how is percussion not I don't know. How, I, don't I mean, know. that's pure I, elitism, I, yeah, isn't
0: it? absolutely crazy, because this film, the music in it is, again, so it's percussive, obviously. It deals with the idea of expression, of creativity. It talks to drum beats and beats of in, in, intent and anger, and it, it punctuates everything that the characters are feeling, and also gives it a little bit of... um A disconnection with it as well, like it's percussive and it's, you know, it's like jazz in some ways and it allows your brain to sort of accept these kind of crazy jumps in time and these other kind of bits and yeah yeah like the, weird, like, the weird sort of
1: syncopation and mm. you know odd time signatures of yeah. jazz drumming as well definitely playing. and then you'll
0: fucking see it as well then you'll see your drum kit and you'll see it being done live and then it'll pull away and then there'll be some other orchestral moments and other bits of it it's very surreal it's one of the most surreal scores of a mainstream uh, Oscar winning movie of this type of this yeah. level and I
1: think well, that's probably is... why you also get it mixed up with Whiplash as well oh, yeah yeah
0: <laughs> and and I think that it would be, a, and it's absolutely a, um, absolutely a shame that it was not eligible. Because I yeah. think that it should have, it should have done a lot. No, better.
1: no I mean that is, that is just snobbery of the mm. of the highest order, really. Yeah. There, and there are moments as well that when you already consider the the length of some of the takes, and you know there were points where the actors would not only have to hit their marks on in a in a physical manner, but also hit the marks in a rhythmic manner, because mm. there were times when the two elements coincided, yeah. and I just thought. Well, obviously, you typically score a film after the fact, so I, I wasn't ever sure if sometimes that somebody, like a drummer, was watching it, yeah, and was effectively drumming along to the beats of it, mm. or if they were acting to the a rhythm that had already been mm. created. And it, it, it's 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 odd because obviously that's just not how scores work, but sometimes. There are parts of it, right? It must have been done yeah. to the rhythm. It must yeah, yeah. have been edited to the rhythm of it. It must have been acted to the rhythm of it. Or, or was it such that the percussion was so was, was so incredible that they were just able to create something that's worked to the the natural rhythm of the actors in that moment? Yeah, it's, it's, it's bonkers. There's just so much to admire in this film, man. There's also a level
0: of, of, of a meta-ness um, that I wanted to bring up with the score, is that when he goes outside... If you have ever been to New York, uh, to Times Square, there is a guy that plays the drums yeah. on the, on on Times Square that almost exactly like that. So it has that again. Another element of really is set in New York on Broadway. Yeah. If you go out, you will hear a guy playing it. Um, there's also a guy that plays using um, upside down bins um, out there, so you hear percussion when you're in that part of the world outside Oxford circus as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he, and he does at two points, I think he says, cue the music at one point before Mm. he's pulled off from jumping off the building. And then as he's going to the theater, he says, stop the music as well. Yeah. And the music cuts as well, which is, you know, more of that magical realism and leveling and and what, what plane of reality is he, is he existing on sort of thing. Really
0: cool. And, uh, and I hope everyone at home uh, enjoyed the film too. Um, and I think that's probably...
1: Oh, a thumbs up, by the way, yeah.
0: A thumbs up. I think it's a double <laughs> thumbs up. It's another McCartney. Um, and it's... Um, uh, and I think that's it. Thank you very much.
1: Uh, um, yeah, I think that's that's loads. We nearly hit an
0: hour on that. Yeah, it was fair now. We normally, we normally take Bam. an hour to do our, uh, to do our reviews. And, if, and, and then I think I shall move us on
1: to... Oh, um, we, we did mention it briefly, Andrew Risborough, but also, can I just say, like, Emma Stone... Every day, any day, all day, every day, all day, every day. Emma Stone. Stone. Oh man, like yeah, I don't have many celebrity crushes, but yeah. Emma, there's something about Emma Stone. I think I think it's just <laughs> compared to a lot of actors, right. compared to a lot of actors, she just has one of the most expressive faces, and I love that. I I love women who aren't afraid to contort their face. Yeah. There's so many women who think beauty is to remain rigid and inflexible and not. Allow yourself to have any laughter lines or wrinkles or anything mm. that would actually give your face any character. Mm. I think Emma Stone completely shits all over that notion, mm. even within the realm of Hollywood actresses, and just is not afraid to bug her eyes out and do whatever it takes to kind of get that expressiveness yeah. over. And I, I fucking love her. Like, yeah, I love her so much. And and in a. In a completely non objectifying way, and just like, oh, she's she's just like, she always strikes me as well, like, I want to go to the pub with Emma Stone, like, yeah. I want to have a beer with Emma Stone, right? Uh, kind of actress, yeah, yeah. I think
0: she's, she, I think she also has again that connection the um, the idea of being slightly burnt by a uh, comic book franchise as well. I think she sits quite well in that. I think obviously in timelines, it wouldn't have been quite so, but I don't think there was a massively good reaction to the first spider-man anyway no neither of them neither
1: of the amazing spider-man films really live up to the the adjective Hmm. (laughs) did you did you ever hear the story about why the um why andrew
0: garfield was so was eventually was recast and the problems that happened the rumor no so um well apparently and this is again complete complete rumor allegedly um Andrew Garfield was. Um, this is when he was um, in a relationship with Emma Stone. I don't know whether they're whether they're still together. They were called out to a um, the Sony um, Sony offices, part of a big uh, sort of meetings about the future of franchise and everything. Uh, they were supposed to go out there to um, to sort of pit, not pitch, but the idea of that it's very done to to sort of to have like proper meetings and apparently um he missed them he for some reason decided not to turn up to them some have read one version of this that he thought he was too important to go to them that it was like he was expected to go and sort of dance for the, right, for the money right. men. and apparently in well i mean of course we, we know it's like in any culture but particularly in uh, sony's culture that if you miss those kind of meetings you that you you're pretty doomed to so yeah, on yeah. grass, yeah yeah, yeah yeah it was they took it as a absolute abject um
1: fuck you yeah fuck <laughs> you to,
0: and uh, and uh, dis, disrespect for everything that they kind of been done and um, that was the the reason for the etch sketch on it that it was um, and you know obviously the whole marvel thing and being oh, brought what? into the idea of it but i thought that he probably he could have fit in the in it you know, it's I'm, I'm, a I'm, older,
1: I'm, I'm glad he went personally. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. But 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 the point being is that it was because of this. Uh, but, the, because but it was also the emails. Yeah, you know about the whole Sony email leak as well. That was the same period. Right. Where, when it was basically a whole bunch of internal emails were leaked that was were, were showing the, the creative process between a, a, well, I say creative process, mm. the executive process, the marketing process between the creation of a lot of the films. Yeah. And it just revealed a company in like huge amounts of turmoil who didn't know what they were doing of in the course. slightest. Of yes. course. And Spider Man was at the forefront of that. Yeah. And it was all their ideas for spin offs and targeting certain demographics and all this shit. And Marvel caught wind of it but said Just stop fucking up Spider Man and you've just you've just some somebody has just made it laid all the cards on the table for us and gone, look, you don't know what you're doing. Right. And which is why Marvel stepped in and kind of said, Well, we'd like to get our character back for a spell, please. Meanwhile Sony are going well. We only own Spider-Man, so let's make a film about the lady characters. Let's make a standalone Venom film. They're, yeah. they're, there's they're, there's talk now that they're making a standalone film around Morbius, who's the vampire character yeah. from Spider-Man, with fucking Jared Leto. Yeah, because right. they must have seen Suicide Squad and gone, oh, that's our that's fucking guy. guy. Oh god. So you know, good. I'm glad yeah. Tom. I'm glad Tom Holland took over because he's now. By far the best Spider-Man that's ever been on been on screen.
0: Oh, is he better than two? Is he better than Spider-Man Two?
1: hundred oh, percent. Homecoming is like one of my top three, probably Marvel films. Wow, I okay. love, I love, I love Homecoming. I think, I think it's got that John Hughes quality. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's genuinely just. It, it gets rid of the whole backstory side. Doesn't sort of dwell on that aspect of Spider-Man. It respects the audience enough to go, we know who fucking Spider-Man is. Yeah. Um, I love the I love the fact that they've done a teen-focused superhero film that actually feels that it has real teenagers yeah. in it. Um, I like I think Michael Keaton's like a, a blue-collar villain with a chip on his shoulder mm. who is no longer blue-collar but still mm. thinks he is and thinks yeah, yeah. he's still doing things for the right reason. Yeah. But he's still ultimately an honourable guy at the end of it self-righteousness yeah, so, yeah. I, I, and, 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 and I like the low stakes aspect of it as well yeah. um, apparently Ant-Man and the Wasp which is coming up is very similar in that regard that it's very sort of Infinity War was everything this is mm. a total come down to right. none of this really means anything on the grand scheme of things and I, and I, and I dig superhero films that don't always have to deal with world ending oh, circumstances absolutely. so yeah I think it's great act. I think it's well acted sharp, great <clears throat> villain, it's just got everything a good superhero film should have <laughs>
0: Well, cool. That's um There you go. There's uh, my
1: capsule review of Spider-Man Home coming in the middle of a Birdman review.
0: Well and it's got Michael Keaton in it. So uh I think there's actually there's
1: one it. more point I think we need to discuss with Birdman. Yeah. And it was raised by Chris right at the start, was yeah. was the role of the, the role of the critic. As as two people sat in a room currently critiquing Birdman, uh a film chosen by a critic, two of you really hated that scene where he makes you know, it feels like the the writer has stepped off the page and temporarily inhabited Michael Keaton's character because it feels like I'm a creative yeah. you're a critic your job is to just fucking you know rubbish things and destroy them without ever having made anything it's the it's the it's the classic those who can't teach yeah yeah men- mentality um i guess part of it is like what, why why do you dislike that scene so much, and why does the film seem to have this? Is, is the film's loathing of criticism? I know you said that scene exists as a sort of propulsive device, mm. but um, why do you dislike its execution? And I guess, what is your personal viewpoint of the, the the value of criticism? Is it necessarily is it necessarily a critique of critics? Yeah, at large, or is it again this? This sense that we, we everyone's a critic these days. You 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 go on Metacritic or you you go on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes, and it, it, there are, there are so many voices now who are trying to tell you what they think and and think that we all care. Yeah, has the has the actual value of being a critic itself now been massively devalued by its um, democratization?
0: Mm. Well, uh, my personal my personal feeling on it, and thank you for thank you for bringing for bringing it back up. I whether to get into it now fully or whether whether we take a little bit more time to do it is that not to disrespect uh, critics or writers in in, in or journalists in, in in any sense, but my personal view, and I'll I'll say how it relates to this to this podcast is my writing and and reviewing of anything I have always had a very bad relationship with it I don't I've never really ever read reviews as a way of finding out what my opinion should be of something Mm. I've always I've always not want let me choose my words properly here Um, I normally use reviews as a way of uh, it, that goes in parallel with my own i normally would check them to make sure that it, 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 it is not a disaster that's probably it it's probably like just a complete like that there hasn't been a, a massive oversight of some type yeah, yeah. but i have always strived to try and see these things for or experience them for myself not that i don't agree with critics i ebert is probably where my uh, love of criticism and journalism of any type stops, stops. That basically you're either, it's either a thumbs up or it's a thumbs down. And that's, and that's almost it. That reviews, professionally written reviews should really only consist of that. And that anything else that brings in uh, anyone's personal views to it or their own uh, sort of,
1: so like their politics or their politics
0: how they feel about something because for one because it's these people's jobs and they don't pay to see these things i feel that they're almost immediately i don't want to use the term irrelevant but it, it, it doesn't have as much meaning for me so game journalism for for example I don't think that if you haven't paid fifty pounds for this game out of money that you've saved, I don't, I don't know whether you can ever get into the mindset to sufficiently give people what it is that that,
1: that they need. Um, it's. I, I, I think I think it can devalue it to an extent, um, I, but as you say, I, I think a lot of it rides on. At the end of it, you ask yourself, would you have paid fifty pounds for that experience? It
0: used to. I, I i do genuinely feel that there has been a rise in film journalism and game journalism where it has it's almost more to do with the publication itself or the writer themselves and impressing their own feelings and cadence of of, of creative writing on a review whereas ostensibly people don't want that from writing or a review i don't personally i don't i i tend to try and take an opinion of as many people as i can for me uh we've we've got a friend uh dan and i uh, dear dear listener straight reader um who's very online shy who's very doesn't really take a lot of uh doesn't do a doesn't write a lot of stuff on the internet, but I take his opinion as much as I would take any, you know, a written opinion. I take, you know, because for the most part, he's very committed in trying some stuff very early. spends an extreme yeah, amount yeah. of money on being one of the first people to try things, and for me personally, his opinion on things is as as important. Um, it just, it, it, I don't know whether I'm answering your question properly, but for me the idea of the, the critics idea in it, and because i'm you know i consider myself a creative as a, as a musician and that way that scene in there it's 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 too clunky to really properly get across the idea of how i feel about criticism um because it's it it relying on an old trope of oh you know how do you sleep how do you like, you know, you know, you don't know what it is like to create anything because that's not fair. You don't know anything about the writer. You don't know about whether she goes and, you know, composes symphonies. It's not like, it's not about that. Um, like this in particular you referred to us sitting here and critiquing in that way and obviously that is what we're doing to an extent but for me this is just as much about involving people and hearing their opinions. I care about Chris's opinion as much as I care about an opinion that I've read on the movie or anything like that. I feel that there is a a, a horizontal line of importance, of reviews, of, of thoughts on anything and that I don't know, have you read any of the user reviews on Metacritic? <laughs> well, I mean the point of that all of those reviews aren't you know that any review that people input their own personality into almost almost deems it irrelevant. Yeah. To... Uh,
1: well no no no, you're right. I think I, I think everyone's opinion is relevant. The the point is that we're at a point now where people aren't happy or a lot of people aren't happy just to have their opinion on something. It's more that they need to feel reassured that everybody else thinks like them. Yeah, um, and that's that's what makes it very difficult these days because people will read a review and go, "Oh, based on that person's personal circumstances, the makeup of his fucking brain, and all these other cultural and genetic and social aspects that have led to that guy to have that particular opinion on a thing." Yeah, don't <laughs> don't measure up exactly with what. My opinion of it is means that they're wrong, yeah, and it's devalued my enjoyment of something. Hmm. And and sometimes it can be because that review brings up uncomfortable truths. It, yeah, it, it it they cause you sometimes to confront things that you either have never considered, or or that you've just. Not not really appreciated or understood because you're not viewing it from that perspective. And sometimes, mm. and that's why I like reviews written from people's perspectives and injecting themselves into it. You know, I want I want to hear what a person of colour has to say about watching Black Panther yeah. versus a forty year old white guy. Mm. I, I want to know what these people make of it. What what is it from their perspective? Because I'm never going to watch it from their perspective. I'm not going to. Evaluate it from their perspective. I've just am interested in hearing different voices and hearing what they're saying and from their perspective. And the more that they can, um, you know, qualify their opinions, yeah. the, the more likely I am to to, to to take that opinion on board and appreciate it. Because yeah. I think there's also value. I, I'm not a big fan of, of this upsurge of, of videos that are all about. 10 reasons you're wrong to like this things that are just picking shit apart at at such a fucking atomic level that you're just like fucking hell man just sit back and just let some of this shit wash over you and and accept that everyone is fallible and that not everyone's going to get everything every little fucking detail right it's like if they've told a story that's kept you engaged it's you're the one who's at fault because you're nitpicking and finding all the little Mm. fucking things that are wrong with it like fuck off, I don't care about your fucking opinion. I, I care about the people who are able to just sit back and, and and absorb it as as it washes over them at the moment, at that moment mm. and have that. Fine if you want to pick things apart afterwards and do that in your own time, but don't tell me I'm fucking wrong for enjoying this film because you've decided that these aspects are wrong.
0: Well, no, because there you're talking
1: about extremism. It's in a, a form ext- of
0: extremism, yeah. You know, that, you know that, that, that kind of critical extremism you know, and another another bit that we shouldn't get into now is that it's great that everyone should have an opinion but should those people you know the fact that the internet has given those people access platform, to yeah. a platform might not be as valid and let's not get into that now yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, I still feel that um, that the that there is a separation between the ability to criticize and discuss and the ability to respect creation. They're fundamentally different yeah. things because I can tell you... I can tell you how I feel about this thing that you've created, but there's never really much discussion about the fact of respecting the fact that it has been created It's there's a different, yeah. very close to each other. And there's a, there's a very distinct line for me and that I feel that ultimately this film to bring us back to Birdman is that this, this film's almost about that. It's about the line of, 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 what it? What is creativity and what is output? Because the critic is also correct in what she's saying. Yeah, she is has some really valid points. You don't get to come in here and do these things that other people live their lives and breathe their, you know, their breath, you know, through to do, you know. And- yeah, but
1: I think that also smacks of elitism as well. You know, in the same way we we're just discussing what happened with the soundtrack is to say just because. You haven't been here, and you haven't done that. It gives you no right to be here, and it's like, and that's where I think the the message there is like she's letting her personal politics mm. interfere. with being been able to give, uh, not not you know, I don't mind a subjective value. Everyone says our oh, review should be an objective. Fuck it, no, it should be deeply subjective. as a whole yeah. fucking point of a review, but to take too many external factors. Like I I would understand it if it was like you're trying to break into the in into theatre but you're a rapist. You're trying to break into theatre but you're a paedophile. Like, okay, mm. let's take those bits out. You're you know, you're committing illegal activity. Stop it. But she she could just as well be going to that guy, uh, you used to work in a factory yeah. and now you're trying to be an actor. Yeah. Fuck you. It doesn't matter where he came from. Like that that aspect of it is is, is, is it's, a, it's a fallacy you should never you not. you should never say that somebody hasn't got a right to try something different and to no be no no different.
0: I, I, you misunderstand me i i think that she's right she has the ability to say it but ultimately her yeah and i'm going to destroy your play because of it is the wrong part that's of the it. wrong part of it yeah but she her opinion is a valid one yeah. you know, because if she's been living in that world and that and that part of it, and if
1: her and, and but is and, that is that I mean, is that also a deliberate bit of like boo his villainy? Like, is is it almost that she's the archetypal? Uh, I suppose, yeah. Is she the archetypal Hollywood villain that's just been thrown in at the last second to yeah. create a bit of drama yeah, or something? So something. Is, yeah, again, is that in some... itself uh, a part of the the postmodernism aspect of the film? It's difficult, although ultimately, I think criticism has any creator. Loves any creator who can divorce their ego from what they're making and allows someone to intelligently and constructively critique what you've created will always thank you 100%. because they are always this close yeah. for the benefit of the listeners. My hand is very close to my face; <laughs> it is. They are this close to what they're making, and sometimes you need someone who stood outside of your bubble to look in and go, "Here's here's how it appears from the outside." This is what it's like, and a good critic should always seek to go. I understand that you have worked really hard on this, but look, it could be better. Yeah. This is how you improve. This is what you do next time. These are the weak points. These are the strong points. A, a, you know, a proper evaluation of something that really helps someone grow and yeah. develop. Because that's what a creative will always, a creative person will always want to look at that and listen to people and absorb who it. can go. Oh, in the same way that Ed Norton says to Michael Keaton. Three lines where one will do. And mm. He goes, yes, you're absolutely fucking right. Let's yeah. riff on that. Let's do it. That's criticism. That's great criticism. That's Any criticism that seeks to improve an art form yeah. is what you always want. But isn't it funny that in that, humanity sort of
0: sometimes doesn't let that through, even to the fact that constructive criticism is a term we all use and know, and that's what we're talking about here is constructive criticism. But destructive criticism isn't a term.
1: No when it's the opposite. That's true, actually. And destructive criticism... Well, criticism is almost deemed to be the antonym of... (laughs) <laughs> of creative crea- yeah, yeah. Of constructive criticism
0: sorry but but that's what we're talking about here is that as a creator again I would completely admit constructive criticism I seek it out I love it I would love to hear people constructively criticize this show yeah. it would help us and you know the other people that have told us a few things have really helped us and sometimes it can fucking hurt yeah but, but but here we go if it's truly constructive even if it hurts you absorb it as a creator somewhere deep down you still absorb it if it is truly, truly constructive because it might take you a while and I know more than anyone and when I've been hurt by the feeling and, and of, of of some music that I've made that I might take me a while to get round to it but it will stick with me and it will be what helps me to get better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Destructive criticism where somebody is just trying to Denigrate pull you something and, yeah. apart, take you down a peg or two Put their own feeling of inadequacy in what they're saying to you. All of those kind of things. That's the part that can fuck off. And <laughs> this, this, this thing, the Star Wars thing that we're talking about. Let's get onto it in a second. That's all destructive criticism. Yeah. You know, and that's that's the part. That's what has to die. That's what was born with 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 Mass Effect Three was was the was the validation of destructive criticism yeah. as masquerading as constructive criticism. I
1: really feel that was like that was like EA on high going you change that fucking ending yeah. now. I don't think BioWare independently went oh yeah we better change the yeah. ending. It's like someone on high said you've pissed off you've pissed off our fucking audience you yeah. better you better fix this now. Yeah. Yeah. I th- I think that was just a massive massive mistake.
0: So, could you could you would you mind sort of pricing it just quickly for anyone that does Oh yeah yeah, absolutely. Know, Sorry.
1: Um for so for listeners who aren't into their video games, there was a game called Mass Effect 3, which was the end of a much lauded gaming sci-fi trilogy. And um effectively the everything that the game had been building to came to one of uh, several conclusions none of which um the hardcore audience deemed Satisfactory, um, you know whether that was true or not is by the by. It was ultimately that through a series of petitions and various videos, you know, picking apart why it was such a mess, that um, the developer eventually kowtowed and and created new endings that would, in in some way, hopefully placate the the, the very vocal minority that was demanding. Such a change, and now we find ourselves years later with audiences returning to our o- earlier conversation about uh, ownership of uh, ownership of materials, mm. ownership of of pr- products that have been created. Yeah. Um, and and really overstepping boundaries and believing S- that such they a that it's it. it's made specifically for them and specifically for their yeah. their tastes and yeah. and anyone anything that attempts to, um. To defy that is is, is worthy of destruction. Mm. Well, there was a
0: practicality to art, like film, like games, that meant that that kind of criticism had a um, had sandbags. The flood couldn't go any further because you were like, "Well, I'm sorry, the movie's made; it's out. I can't do anything about mm. it." You know, you could also draw a thread to George Lucas and the idea of going back and doing the doing the. Um, extended editions yeah, special, the um, special editions, special editions yeah. of star wars um but mass effect was one where it was a confluence of this intense uh feedback um incorrect destructive criticism um and the actual ability to update the game and update people's experience um it, it, because the technology had got to such that you were able to do it and it feels like now creatively within the gaming industry and it, any kind of industry that had that, that touched it film included that that for me really feels like a real precedent was set then yeah it was a now, it was a real turning point yeah.
1: it was as like you say it was a justification of an you know of an audience vehemently going after a, a, a creative entity Uh, And successfully demanding change
0: and again sort of you know as, as we phase into our news bit rather than me uh, sort of saying outright is talking about star wars now is what i find most troubling is now that those vocal the vocal minority um the vocal um dissidents of the last jedi and now claiming solo's poor box office performance and the fact that star wars and um that looks Disney have now said that there's no more um, Star Wars stories um, coming out as validation absolute yeah. that their criticism of The Last Jedi is is founded now when there are obviously a lot of factors, there are lots of other different things. The fact that it came f- so, so few months after um, The Last Jedi that it came really soon, um, really close to infinity war and that the maybe the market just wasn't ready to go out and yeah because you know i really enjoyed solo and but for me what i'm finding the, the 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 greasiest the grimiest about it is now the 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 last jedi warriors that that hated the movie and now feeling like they've they've they struck a blow that they've, that God is bleeding now. Because it's like, oh of... yeah. We,
1: the hardcore Star yeah. Wars fans have just stopped Disney making more Star Wars yeah. films. And you're like, great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a great cartoon. Oh yeah. There's the one with Tom, you
1: know. Tom and Jerry, Tom sort yeah. of putting the shotgun and it going back onto himself. Yeah. 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 Which is, which is amazing.
0: Um, and yeah, of course, you're you're saying that now this has reached its uh, nadir of a campaign that claims that it has uh, heavy backing, oh,
1: to the tune of 150 million, 200 yeah. million dollars. Which just caught Ryan Johnson's eyes, like, fucking do it? I want to, remake. I want to see this." I, mean, I think everybody wants to see this film.
0: I would love to see the remake of it. It will be, it. But again, obviously, there's a side to me that's just like, "Oh, why do they get?" Why do they get the focus? Why do they get the thing? You know, when there's so many other extended universe stories that would that would make it, oh, you know, it's it it's the most amazing sort of time in history in 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 that way of that, you know, just let it go, just let but, it. But you know, go, it's man. it's it's
1: subject to an overwhelming amount of ridicule, and that tells you all you need to know. Is yeah. you know, these these people really Star Wars for whatever reason is at the forefront of their life, and it has wronged them. Um, and it's 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 a tragic thing to watch unfold. It's hilarious to watch unfold, but it is sad, in a way, and in and not, and not in a sort of ridiculing way. It's just, man, if, if if your life is so bereft of meaning that that's where you're trying to find it, it's like, man.
0: Well, I, I'm going to bring there's, in a, there's a, I'm a tragedy there. Bring in another news story here that's that's related, and I think probably I'll we'll probably leave it after this. It's all been quite um tight in terms of our conversation but basically there's um, It would seem remiss
1: to suddenly veer
0: off into all these other avenues wouldn't it after this one it seems Basically Damon Lindelof um, and uh, is working on a Watchmen series TV series and it's added a few more actors in it and whatever the new story is blah 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 but it got Got me thinking about the idea of of intellectual extremism. Um, that the fact that Alan Moore still claims that he hasn't watched The
1: Watchmen, yeah,
0: and hasn't watched any movie that he's loved for Vendetta. Or any There's of a those very kind famous
1: Alan Moore thing. There's a it very it's an Alan Moore story, which is you can tell the quality of an Alan Moore movie mm. by how late in the day he withdraws his support <laughs> for it. <laughs> yeah. So, hence, like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was yeah. uh, before it would even made. Yeah, 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 but yeah. like Watchmen was actually quite late in the day. Yeah. I don't. I, he he just. I think he wasn't so. Highly, or Vendetta maybe he was. A, he was a little sort of happier with. Yeah. Alan Moore will never be happy with. But I mean, that's that's bullshit, right? Well, he's accepting. You can't tell me that
0: he hasn't watched The Watchmen.
1: He's 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 clearly accepting the money, but he's not in the credits. Yeah, but he's <laughs> that's that's what I'm saying. He, he withdraws his. He's like, I don't want my name on it. But it's always about how late he withdraws his name from the film as a sign of its quality. So even if he hasn't seen the film, he must have read the script. He must have done something. But the idea
0: of that of what that we're talking about extremism here, when it's, brought, it's been brought up a few times, and creative, you know, and critical extremism and these other things, intellectual extremism is still that's still bullshit. I love Alan Moore with all my heart. I love. Watchmen is one of probably in my top ten favourite books of all time. Yeah. Um, but I call bullshit on the fact that he claims, still claims, he hasn't watched I Watchmen.
1: don't know. Is a he must he have, have done. Some, some two guys, hours out of his life. He must have some guys flicked on. Are, some guys are just they—they—they <laughs> they, they, they are true to their word. Maybe maybe it is total bullshit. He just likes—he just likes to fuck with people yeah, and say that he hasn't. Maybe. But by the same token, I I know how he feels when you you create something for somebody else. Yeah, somebody else maintains ownership of that thing you've created, and then they use that to merchandise it, they use it to create spin-offs and things that you never intended. Sometimes you create something that's meant for one medium and you go, well that, that that's it. Mm. That's all it's meant to be. It's, it's 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 crystallized in that form and I don't want people to take that sort of concentrate and dilute it. Yeah. Um my favourite example is uh Bill Bill Watson who makes he made Calvin and Hobbes, who Oh yeah, created Calvin and Hobbes. He he how much Calvin and Hobbes merchandise have you ever seen? Oh yeah, great point. None. Yeah. There's a very good reason for that. He's yeah, yeah. he's always point blank refused any merchandising of Karen That's Hobbs. a great point. Um, compared to like Charles M. Schultz. Yeah, yeah. Peanuts. Who's yeah. just like, take it all. Yeah, yeah. Cuddly toys, plushies, whatever. <laughs> I'm going to make a fucking fortune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was very sort of resolute, always in the face of underwhelming amounts of... Wow. You know, so Overwhelming amounts of money being thrust in his face and being told... You can make fucking millions with yeah. Calvin Hobbs. Hobbes. You can do this. And He was like, no, Calvin and Hobbes is meant to be a fucking comic strip in a newspaper. Yeah. That's all it is. It's not meant to be an animated series. Yeah. It's not meant to be T-shirts. You always see his like bootleg Calvin and Hobbes T-shirts and things like that. But he's he's never done it, and he's stayed fucking true to his word the yeah. whole time. I don't. You know, maybe in his latter years, maybe when he passes away, mm. his estate will be like. Open the floodgates! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. Oh my God. Coming from the live-action remake. Coming from Sony yeah. Animation, *Garfield Hobbs* the movie. You yeah. know, it's it, 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 it's it's a it's a dark timeline sort of thing that's going to happen down the line. Yeah. But th- there are there are people over there. You know, Alan Moore. I don't think ultimately has the rights to most of the stuff he's created, right. and hence you'll never you'll never see you know him, him him endorsing it but by the same token i think he's made stuff off his own back and by all accounts it's a bit shit yeah it's like it's it, it it's like frank miller he um thought he had these delusions of grandeur he he did <laughs> uh, he did a good uh, rendition of sin city live action mm. but he co-directed it with robert rodriguez yeah then he was like oh i i can do this on my own and then yeah, goes and robert makes rodriguez. then goes and makes the fucking spirit you know <laughs> Some people, while they criticise other interpretations of their original work, once they find themselves in a position where they try and do it themselves, Mm. they realise that they don't necessarily have an eye for that other medium. Frank Miller is not meant to be a film director. Yeah. Stephen King didn't like The Fucking Shining. You know, it's it's that kind of thing where people who are able to take the essence of their work and distill it in other forms, realising that it's all about adaptation. Douglas Adams did it brilliantly with Hitchhiker's Guides of the Galaxy, mm. which started as a radio play, then was a novel, then was a TV show, and a game. And every single version of it has variations. Yeah. It's fundamentally telling the same story, but yeah, variations that, that work and, and speak to the very the, the various forms that they were created in. Akira, Oto, Katsuhiro Otomo adapted his own work and was not precious about it in the mm. slices. If you read the manga version of Akira versus the anime version of it, the way he distills it, the way he changes characters, the way he removes characters, but still tells fundamentally the same story is 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 to, is to see a, a creator devoid of ego, in, insisting that everything on the page has to be translated lock, stock and vowel yeah. to the screen. There are people that can do it. There are people who are so precious and don't want to let go that you, you know, the Alan Moores of this world, mm. that you know you, you, you get that other side of it too. What was the question? <laughs> has,
0: has Alan Moore watched The Watchmen? <laughs> uh, we can all agree that he has... But he can. He's well within his rights to pretend that he hasn't. Um, Wow! Thank you very much. And and as we, uh, I think probably wrap the show up uh, about then. um, Thank you very much.
1: I'm sorry if you had any quizzes lined
0: up in this. There's no quiz. There's no (laughs) quiz this time. It was a little bit of a different format for the show. Let us know what you thought. It's um, we may go back to the other way, but I thought this had, had like a natural evolution of conversation
1: uh, that I quite liked. Um, I, I, I think I think it works. I think sometimes it's good because, as, as as we know, you you lead the show and you you hold the structure. Mm. You don't show me it, so I was coming. I don't know what we're going to talk about apart from the film, um, and that's it. I think I think it always pays to have an agenda in place Mm. and if the discussion the film leads you away from that agenda and it just flows naturally so be it but sometimes it's it's good to just have those bits in place to to let it happen this was one of those times when i think the film we're talking about inspired a a whole (laughs) numerous avenues of conversation (laughs) and was all the better for it i hope you enjoyed it
0: thank you very much our next film will be the second of the um of this blind spot series, and will be on a movie called Midnight Run, which I believe is on Netflix. Which is on Netflix, um, starring Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin, um, it is Dan's choice, and I'm really looking forward to hearing what he thinks about it. Um, it's um, it's quite something um, during a a period of time of 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 De Niro's that is I would say is probably not forgotten, but he definitely went into a different phase of his career, and uh, really looking forward to discussing that with Dan, um, and uh, I think we'll skip recommendations, I think we'll just talk, that's what yeah. we'll talk about next, and uh, thank you very much, um, and we'll see you next time. See you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye.